Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Thursday, a Red Sox off day, but not an off day for the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo, Sean McAdam alongside shortly. It's mailbag time. We've done this before. We will do it plenty of times over the summer, getting your questions from Twitter. Uh, what's on your mind about the Red Sox? We're about to find out. Sean and I are going to try to answer as many questions as we can get to in a short amount of time here. Um, you know, I always enjoy these types of segments, and hopefully you do too. It's a mailbag week. We, uh, I don't think we've done this since Sean's been aboard, but always good to hear from the listeners, the readers, the tweeters, however you want to call yourselves and um, you know, kind of get some, some questions that we as supposed experts should be able to add, uh, answer. Um, we're, we'll start with a little bit of kind of general discussion on the Red Sox, though, because they are on the West Coast. We're both on the East Coast. Chris Smith has been doing a fine job covering uh, the first two series in San Diego and Anaheim for us at Mass Live. Sean and I spent the day yesterday in Portland, ran into GM Brian O'Halloran, talked to him up there. So um, on a newsy day for the Red Sox, as Corey Kluber moves from the bullpen to the rotation, this is something I think after the way he's pitched, Sean, the last few weeks, didn't really leave them with much of a choice. I think you know, the one interesting thing here from my end is Tanner Houck's a guy who's pitched a lot out of relief in his career. Had a lot of success there, was the closer for most of last year. Probably an easier transition role-wise for him. But this is a team that, you know, they need to win games. They want to win games. They're serious about this season. And it was a merit-based thing. And I think that that kind of speaks a lot to where they see themselves right now. Yeah, I, I think it's a good sign that they acted with some urgency here and not with too much deference to Kluber's status and resume. Not that we have anything against Corey Kluber, but for a guy who's, you know, been a two-time Cy Young Award winner, uh, and an elite starter in the past. He clearly is not that now and hasn't been for a number of years because of injuries and age. But I thought they might be reluctant to have him do that, uh, that they would work around Kluber and maybe come up with some sort of phantom IL designation to give him some time to work on things or to the extreme, say, this isn't working out. Uh, we've already paid $3 million or so of the 10 we owe him. We're going to bite the bullet and designate him. Instead, uh, they sent him to the bullpen with the hope that he can figure some things out and contribute out there. And perhaps, as Brian O'Halloran told us yesterday, um, with the knowledge that at some point, while they now have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to starting pitching options, there'll be a time, presumably in July or August, when that isn't the case. Innings pile up, injuries take place, guys get worn down. And at some point, Kluber could be asked to step back in and contribute 
as a starter, which is, of course, how the Red Sox envisioned him when they signed him. I thought they were going to go with Hauk because until the other night when he turned in a terrific start in Anaheim, unquestionably his best of the year, uh, we saw the difficulties he had the second and, and especially third time through the order. So I thought he's the natural guy, but I think uh, Hauk showing the other night in Anaheim on Monday probably saved his spot. He was actually better the second and third time through the order. So maybe he found something with his pitch mix. He didn't use the fastball as much the second and third time through the order. And he dominated the Angels in innings three through six. So they feel he's turned a corner there and can uh, contribute and be competitive as a starter and moving Kluber out of the rotation, whether it was to designate him or put him in the bullpen was absolutely the right call. Yeah, and, you know, I think an interesting point on that, moving him potentially back to the rotation if they need him later on. You know, they have four guys now in the bullpen who are capable of starting. You know, if you need them, obviously, Kluber and Pavetta just moved there. But Winkowski or Crawford, I don't think it's as simple as, you know, let's say uh, someone gets hurt next week. You know, Kluber or Pavetta moves right back. I think it could be maybe Crawford goes back to the rotation, you know, whoever they think is going to give them the best chance. So, they have options, you know, when you look at it, they're really, you know, nine deep in terms of starters. They probably don't want to move Winkowski out of that role. So let's say eight, you know, but with Crawford and um, Pavetta and Kluber, and they're all in the major league roster. So I would yeah, guess. I, and I, I think they want to see a turnaround from Kluber. And that's going to take some time because he's obviously got some things to work out in terms of his control. This guy had an epic walk rate last year, and he has already walked as you pointed out in your story today, nearly as many hitters this year in about his third uh, of the innings that he uh, that he pitched last qu- year. quarter so, of the innings. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think initially you're going to see him in real low leverage spots where, you know, a, a starter gets cuffed around and all of a sudden you got to go to the bullpen in the third inning. You're down six, nothing, five, one. Kluber's going to be the guy to eat up some innings and save the rest of the bullpen and hope that through that time he can figure some things out and be trusted again to pitch in more high leverage spots. But that's going to take uh, some adjustments on his part first. Yeah, the numbers that you were referencing last year in 164 innings for the Rays, 21 walks. That's 1.2 per nine. This year, uh, 18 walks, so only three short of last year's total. In just 41 and two-thirds inning, that's a you know, 3.9 uh, walk rate, which is you know pretty close to what he had two years ago in 2021, 3.7 with the Yankees in, in 80 innings. So um, the command has not been there, and that's what the Red Sox needed from him, and that's what they wanted when they signed him. Uh, Sean, before we get to the mailbag, just your thoughts on the offense that has gone completely cold on the West Coast this week. Yeah, the pitching, other than uh, Wednesday night, has been pretty good. We, we talked about Hauk losing a tough one. Um, clearly, Kluber did not pitch well Sunday in that San Diego loss, and that led to some of those decisions that took place on Wednesday. But for the most part, the starters are giving them innings throughout the rotation, but now the bats are cold. And you see this over the course of a season where a team might be struggling pitching-wise while it's hitting the cover off the ball, then the pitching comes around, and all of a sudden the offense goes cold. It's hard to juggle those things and have them all be on, uh, you know, going in the right direction at once. But uh, this does not look like the team that was among the top three and run scored and OPS and all the meaningful offensive categories 
they have hit a lull and it's come against a team that frankly is not a great pitching staff Anaheim um, though they're you know 500 or so or a game or two above and not a bad team uh, they're hardly anybody that you quake in your boots about when you think about facing that rotation there's really no clear ace there and yet the Red Sox oh, have had Tommy oh uh, true I'm sorry um but, but they didn't. They didn't that, uh, it, it's a rather average, and, and even Otani, although he pitched well in his last one, had had kind of a rough patch himself, which is why I wasn't including him initially. Uh, but certainly he qualifies as a legitimate number one. But the rest of the rotation um, is is just not where it's supposed to be, and yet the Red Sox produce very little. Uh, it just seems like you know some of the guys have fallen out of their approach. They're expanding. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that snowballs when you have uh, three or four guys struggling, you have other guys in the lineup try to make up for it. And what you get all of a sudden is everybody trying to be too aggressive, uh, swinging at pitchers pitches and uh, not producing the way they were for the first six weeks of the season. Yeah. And we've seen that obviously over the last you know few games and um, you know, especially since that first night in San Diego, I think it's, eight runs in five games at this point. That's obviously not going to get it done, um, even as well as the Red Sox rotation has been. So we're going to move on to the mailbag because that's the whole point of this episode. Um, thanks to everybody for the Twitter questions to both myself and to Sean. Um, we'll probably do this in various forms throughout the uh, season because it's a great way to, you know, get everybody involved and a great way to kind of hear what's on your mind and hopefully, you know, provide some answers, some behind the scenes stuff that if we haven't covered on the site that we can cover in this format. So we'll start and I'll actually give an answer to it before you chime in, Sean. Red Sox Sam on Twitter asked a question, why hasn't Dahlbeck been shipped out and what sort of offer would the Red Sox actually take for him? Uh, my my two-part answer on that is, you know, I asked someone about that over the offseason and they said he's not necessarily burning a hole in our pocket. And I thought that was a good way to put it because this is a guy who, you know, despite not performing at the major league level the last couple of years and despite seeming like, you know, he's a guy that could be better elsewhere, it doesn't hurt the Red Sox at all to keep him at AAA. They can just option him freely. We've seen, you know, I think twice so far this year, he's fit the roster. They're facing a bunch of lefties early in the year. They called him up to replace, uh, I think, Duvall when he went down. We saw him come up a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, it just, it, there's no cost for the Red Sox to keep him. So, you know, on right. that note, that's probably why they do. Yeah, he's not a drag on payroll. You know, he's making very little money. So that's not an issue. Uh, he has options remaining, as you point out. And the other thing to think about, although he has been uh, incredibly inconsistent offensively throughout his major league career, he does have two things going for him. One is the raw power, which occasionally he can get to, and we've seen him get hot for short stretches. And the other is his versatility. Um, you know, nobody wants Bobby Dahlbeck becoming the starting shortstop for a week in the event that the fifth Red Sox shortstop goes down with injury anytime soon. But the very fact is that he can play literally all four infield positions, some admittedly better than others. And he's even played some outfield now in Worcester, which further enhances his, uh, you know, his, his attractiveness to the Red Sox. At the same time, you would think that there would be a team that would want to take a chance on him. You know, is he a guy that just needs a new, a fresh start, new surroundings, um, you know, he doesn't have a lot of service time, probably about two plus years at this point, um, not a lot of salary and that power potential remains very tantalizing to a lot of teams. Um, but my guess is 
They simply have not been overwhelmed or presented with anything that makes sense. And for now, they see him as a worthy or trustworthy depth piece that's worth keeping because of how little he costs them. Yeah, and also I think there is an element to the Heim Bloom being afraid to sell low. You know, I think that we saw that with Jeffrey Springs, and he's admitted, I think, in the past that that's haunted him. So the fact that, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, give Dahlbeck away, especially I think you reported that your previous employer, the Red Sox, uh, had gotten some interest in Dahlbeck from Tampa Bay. You imagine Heim Bloom giving him up, the Rays find something in his swing, and he's a 35 home run guy, and, you know, one of those platoon, uh, faceless, nameless platoon guys that leads him to an AL East championship. I think that's something that Heim might be a little bit afraid of, too. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he, he's obviously careful in maintaining control over roster pieces uh, that are not counting uh, much in salary and can be kind of stashed at AAA in the event they need a body. Uh, and, you know, I think they want to see further what he can do for an extended period at AAA, even if that doesn't always translate to the big leagues on a consistent basis. This next one from Vinny DeMauro, and uh, he asked about a couple specific players. I'll expand it because it's about the time of year we start discussing this type of thing. He asked if Duran or Verdugo are going to make the all-star team. I'll expand that um, kind of more broadly for you. If you were to name who from the Red Sox is an all-star as of right now, uh, who would it be? Um, in my mind, Verdugo, Devers, uh, potentially Yoshida, Um Maybe Jansen, even though yeah. he had that, he had the back-to-back blown saves, and he's got three blown saves now, and the ERA has ballooned up because of that. But I think people look at the 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 uh, achievement of the 400th career save, uh, the fact that he got off to a great start, his sort of status as an elite closer in the game. That's a maybe. I would say that certainly. Verdugo and Devers and likely Yoshida at this point. I, I don't know that a guy like Winkowski, who has pitched well enough to um, to garner some attention because he's relatively young and those middles sort of high leverage setup guys don't always get the attention, particularly when they haven't established themselves over a number of years. So I, I, I'm going to say Devers and Verdugo with Yoshida, a, a decent bet. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, and obviously these guys you know, pretty much have all been slumping the last few weeks, but OPS-wise, you know, Devers only at 803, Yoshida 855, Verdugo down to 814. I mean, that's – they're probably, you know, teetering more than they probably were before the West Coast trip. Yeah, I, I still think, you know, Devers is among the lead leaders and homers and RBI. Right. And he's, he's a, you know, a star. He's certainly an all-star level player. Uh, Verdugo, you could argue, has been their best overall player through the first 50 games for his his defense, his hustle, his uh, improved offensive game. And Yoshida has been a very good offensive performer, though admittedly a very average outfielder. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some tough calls, obviously, you yeah. know, another, mo- another month until and, and look, that you know, if, figured if you're out. in fifth or sixth place as the Red Sox, uh, uh, fourth or fifth place as the Red Sox currently are, that's going to hurt them a little bit when it comes to um, you know, the profile and the standing and fan voting and player voting. Uh, there are, you know, there are a lot of teams in the division with a lot of big name players. They're going to take up spots on that roster before you start considering Red Sox players. 
Yeah, this was, this is an interesting one. It's one that's going to be, I think, a big topic of conversation now. The rotation is sorted out. The roster decisions, I think Pete Abe from the Globe talked about or wrote about this yesterday. Roster decisions are looming. Uh, Connor Rooney asks, which starting lineup moves are made when Adam Duvall returns? Adam Duvall told me last week he wants to come back June 9th, which is two weeks from tomorrow when he's eligible to come off the 60. Does he platoon with Duran, Duran in center? Do they send Casas down? Uh, I'll, I'd say that I envision that, you know, them figuring it out on a daily basis with the three outfield spots and Duran just, you know, staying on the roster and uh, simply taking the spot of Rymel Tapia, right? Like, does that not, does that not make some sense? Uh, yeah, I don't know about them giving up necessarily on Tapia. They, there are probably some other things that they could do roster wise, but I'm looking more about playing time moving forward. And it's funny that this question got asked because I was starting my, uh, putting together my, uh, uh, MLB notebook for the weekend, which will be available starting at 6 a.m. on Friday if you're looking for some reading material to begin your Memorial Day weekend. And I, I tackled this issue. One scenario I can envision is that, uh, particularly against lefties, um, you have Duval in center, and then you have either Duran or Ref Snyder in left. You have Yoshida uh, as the DH. And you have Turner playing first base over Casas against lefties. Uh, Casas is hitting about a buck 57 against lefties. He's not hitting anyone particularly well, but he's really struggling, struggling against lefties. So Turner to first, Yoshida from left to DH, Duval back in center, and either Duran or Ref Snyder in left, depending on the matchup against lefties. Problem is, that's only about a third or 25% of the games. That's the number of times you're going to face a lefty. What do they do on an everyday basis when they're facing righties? That gets a little harder. Uh, I think they're initially, they'll want to make sure that Duval, you know, comes back and does one of those, you know, play one, sit one, play two, sit one, play three, sit one. They're going to want to ease him back in, make sure that wrist is okay, that they're not asking too much of him in the beginning. But eventually it's going to be a very crowded outfield spot and no logical solutions other than the one that I proposed against lefties. How do they do it with righties? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big question. Obviously, you know, guys get hurt people. Uh, and these, these things tend to figure themselves out now, outside the box thing for you. Obviously they signed Duvall to be the center fielder. Uh, I think they thought he was capable of doing that defensively over eight games. Obviously he was very hot at the plate. Tough to tell, you know, in center and, and Duran has done a really good job. Adam Duvall is a guy who came up as an infielder and has a lot of time at first base, you know, as, as recently as 2018 with Cincinnati and Atlanta. It makes you wonder if Tristan Casas keeps struggling, you know, do you put Duvall at first, maybe sacrifice defense there? We've seen it in the past. If they wanted, you know, they wanted Kyle Schwarber's bat in the lineup, they put him at first two years ago. Could they do that? You know, if we're talking about urgency, getting wins, I don't think that's something that you can really rule out quite yet. Yeah. Hadn't even considered that, but that's a possibility. He's a guy who, as baseball reference, uh, comes to a crawl here. Uh, you know, first base, 21 games in 2014. Uh, has played a handful there, you know, throughout his career. And um, obviously, uh, he came up as a corner infielder and, and now has been an outfielder, really, for the bulk of his career. But, again, it's not like it's the hardest defensive position to play. It's a place where you can hide somebody. Again, if Kyle Schwarber can do it two years ago and, you know. Scott Hattieberg can do it. Yeah, and we saw some of the guys. Franchi Cordero got a run at it last year, so. Um, Tristan Costas had the chance to grab the reins. He has not done that yet. And um, 
you know, if, if that's going to come down to those tough decisions and, and look, there's more tough decisions coming. You know, if you have, you know, Trevor story and maybe eventually Adalberto Mondesi and Yu Chang and Arroyo and all these guys coming in, there's, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions to make, you know, especially concerning the infield. The, the Mondesi delay is like, this guy doesn't even exist. You know, yeah. there was talk about, Oh, maybe late April or May, uh, then they put him on the 60, so he's not even eligible until we get into June. Um, I, I'm stunned that uh, given the shortage of options they have faced, where they had to go out and make a deal with Oakland to bring somebody in to play some shortstop in Reyes, who's, to give him credit, performed very well. But Mondesi has become this forgotten man, and I do wonder – What's going on with that knee? Uh, he's now, you know, 13 months post-surgery and really has not started to do a lot of baseball activity. To the best of my knowledge, he's not playing an extended spring. Uh, the uh, GCL gets started in Fort, in Fort Myers uh, within the next week or so. I don't know if he's ready to play in any of those games, but it's clear he's not going to be uh, ready to contribute at the major league level for, I would say, at minimum another month. And it's just strange how this whole thing's been handled. Yeah, it has. I mean, it is. They have basically very vague updates whenever we ask about him. Oh, he's not, you know, he's doing the same thing, progressing, you know, taking BP and taking ground balls now for literally three months. Um, and I guess it's a pain tolerance thing and, you know, hard to fault a guy if he's in pain, but it's just, uh, it, there seems to be more than what we've been told, you know, going yeah, on there. So not too. to, not to be conspiracy theorists on this show, but you know, it's, it has been strange. Um, next one comes from uh, skull fan 69 with Mata and Murphy and Walter all struggling. Is there any chance we see uh Drohan later in the year? And I'd answer that with, they have so much starting depth as we kind of outlined in the major leagues with, you know, the five guys in the rotation. Now Pavetta Kluber, and then you have, uh, obviously, Winkowski and Crawford. The chance to go get somebody at the trade deadline, which I think, you know, they might try to go get a, a number one, number two type if those are available. Obviously, they're not often. Uh, I think it's kind of an uphill battle to see, you know, one of those guys come up and, and make meaningful starts in the majors as the year goes on. Again, if he pitches really well in AAA and they think he's one of their best five, maybe they'll, they'll fit it in. But um, at this point, they just have so many arms. It's tough to see really an extended opportunity. And they don't want, ever like bringing those guys up to – you know, be uh, relievers or to be, you know, up and down. They, they kind of want to focus on development. And this is a guy who's risen quickly too. So maybe, but I would guess probably not. Yeah. Well, that said, I would not be surprised at a scenario where they have a double header in July or August uh, where they're allowed to add a 27th player for the game. And they bring Drowen up to make that start just as they did with Bayo at least once last year. Yeah, and uh, Winkowski before. Yep, uh, as a way of kind of getting his feet wet, getting him to experience a big league atmosphere, but making it clear that it's a one and done and he goes back. I could certainly see that happening, but I'm with you. There are enough options on that staff that it would seem that there are other guys ahead of them, him in the pecking order. And if a, an addition to the rotation were needed, I think it's more likely it comes from one of those guys rather than promoting drone. Yeah. I think the guy to watch there, Cutter Crawford, you know, he's a guy that was in the rotation to begin the year. I think that considering how much Pavetta and Kluber both struggled, if there is 
another injury in the rotation, it would not be a surprise at all to see Crawford move back there. And I think that's something that you know, obviously they're, they're not hoping happens because they're comfortable with the five they have right now and everybody's healthy, but that's something to watch. Reggie 02893 asks us, what has happened to Jansen? 400th save, and then he fell off of a cliff. I think command control with the cutter has been a piece of it. Obviously a very wonky uh, pitch clock situation against the Cardinals, but in your estimation, is this just something that happens to guys at points during the year? Yeah, I don't think it's anything that should be concerning long-term. Um, some falling out of whack mechanically. The command has been off, certainly more walks than you would expect. Maybe some issue with that back, which has been somewhat chronic for him in terms of being able to fully extend himself in his delivery. Um, they, they obviously have been trying to buy him time to work on things uh, on the side. And, uh, you know, there's one variable of this losing streak and the way they've gone of late is that there haven't been a lot of safe situations. So he's had time to work uh, on the side and iron some things out. I, I wouldn't think that's anything to concern themselves with long term. He was too good and too dominant for the first five or six weeks for this to be anything major. Yeah, I agree there. A.H. Red Sox, Andrew H., Coincidentally, asked us how do you see Alberto Alberto Mondesi fitting in with this team? Uh, rewind about ten minutes, and you'll have the uh, the non-update update on him. So those are the questions that were asked uh, in response to my tweet. Obviously, you shot it out a couple times. We'll see what people had for you. Um, one is in tongue in cheek from Pete Abraham about American status, which I think you already addressed. So we can cut, yes. cut that one out. Um, I did get him an empty seat next to him on his flight, so he thanked me for that. Oh, good. Uh, did you actually, or is it just a coincidence? Well, it happened. I, I don't want to yeah. say how, but it did. Uh, this is, we're going to go off the beaten track because you joked that we're going to have to talk about my movie expertise, which I, of which I have none. Uh, from R. Massey 34, you have the entire movie theater to yourself on a crummy, rainy day. You can watch any movie you want. What's the movie and your preferred snack? This is an excellent question. Um, in part because you will have no answer for it as you yeah, are. I have the, an answer. You have you, you are the anti-cinephile. It's stunning how few movies you have watched in your 27 that's or a, so years. That's a podcast it, idea. It's really a sad commentary about your life and your whole unawareness of the, uh, the art form of movies and filmmaking. I, I will provide three answers as a, a three-way tie for my favorite movie. One is A Hard Day's Night, the great Beatles movie from 1964. The other is Vertigo by Hitchcock uh, with Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak from the late 1950s. And a third is The Godfather. Uh, any of those three, let it rain all day outside. I'm happy to be in that movie theater watching any of those three. And I'm going to be very, very basic with my uh, choice of snacks. Lightly buttered popcorn. Uh, I'm not into any of the, uh, you know, M&Ms or chocolate candies or any of that. Give me popcorn. That's what you should eat at the movies. Uh, I'll answer this. The uh, the highlight tape of the 2017 North Carolina uh, basketball championship team at a Fiddlehead uh, who, IPA. Is was that a, did Martin Scorsese direct was. that or was yeah. it Francis no, it was Ford a, Coppola? It was a Roy Williams production. I You know, yeah. I get a lot of shit for the movie thing, but. When you spend your formative years breaking Atlantic League transactions, I mean, there's not much time for fun. So, yeah, and look at us true. today. Yeah. So there's there's Sean's answers there. Uh, Jay Habib asks, uh, 
can you ask John Henry? It starts with that. The answer is no, we can't. So we tried the we'll email out. We've been yeah. down this road. Yeah. Can, any any question that asks with it starts with can you ask John Henry? The answer is no. No. The rest, yes. The rest of it is how how the Red Sox have the third highest ticket prices, but only the fifteenth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Look, a worthy question this year. Um, I would argue that uh, to be devil's advocate here. Um, this is somewhat of an aberration in terms of their spending. Um, I think it's been pretty well documented from 02 through last year that uh, they were almost always um, top five, if not top three, and often uh, number one or two. Uh, so they have traditionally spent, they certainly have scaled it back this year. Uh, I think it's pretty evident after they committed the cardinal sin of both going over the CBT and finishing last. They would like a reset this year. I think if they are uh, legitimate playoff contenders around the trade deadline, they may ignore that and go for it and bring in money. But I think all things being equal, they went into this year trying to reset after going over last year. Um, you have a right to be frustrated about the inconsistency that exists, as you point out, when you're charging among the highest prices in the game, uh, the payroll should support that. This is the one year that that has not happened. Another one, same same uh, question asker, Jay Aviv here. Kike is middling offensively and defensively. When will a move be made to get a real shortstop? I mean, that's kind of simple, right? That it's Trevor's story when he comes back. Like, I think yep. that's, that's just, that's his spot when he comes back. And they'll figure out where Kike fits in. Is it a super utility backup? Is he the starting second baseman? Um, obviously we talked about a crowded outfield picture. I mean, I think that's a simple answer where he's just keeping the seat warm on a very interim basis for uh, Trevor's story when he's back. Yeah, uh, I agreed, but I would, I would take it a step further and ask, um, do they make that change when Yu Chang is healthy? Does Yu Chang, who people forget was essentially, you know, becoming the everyday shortstop when he had the handmate bone fracture, he had played something like, you know, 12 out of 14 games started, really solidified the middle of the infield, chipped in with a couple of home runs. Uh, Kike's play at short has been better in May, certainly, than it was in April when it was almost disastrous. Uh, he made a couple of really nice plays recently uh, that show you that he has the ability to make those sort of plays, but there have been some inconsistent throws. And let's face it, offensively, he again is not having a great year. So there, you know, other than his veteran status, it's hard to make the case that uh, with other options, he deserves to be an everyday player at short, how they chop that up and whether they have a, a job share at short with Chang in the, uh, in the mix as well. I don't know, but my take is you may not have to wait for story to come back to see uh, Hernandez lose playing time at short. I just, I mean, I just feel like offensively, Red Sox fans remember the 2021 playoffs. And yeah, he homered like every at bat. He was great. We get it. That's awesome. 272 regular season games over three years. He hit 238 with a 709 OPS. I yep. mean, this is a below average yeah, I, offensive I mean, player. You know, in his defense, I would say August and September of 21 were also very good. You know, essentially when he moved in the leadoff spot and kind of became the uh, you know, the, the instigator for the offense in that lineup. He had a very good second half after the all-star break. So it wasn't just the postseason, but it has been basically 
two and a half months of really outstanding offensive baseball since he's come here and everything else has been underperforming. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, you know, obviously a, a guy that can play anywhere there's value in that, but you know, th there's going to be tough decisions to be made and, and performance is going to play a role. The last one I will ask you from Anthony D ADCR one ADCR. I one I snuck in there. Do you see the Red Sox trading for a frontline starting pitcher at the deadline? I think, you know, with the expanded playoffs and, balance schedule and all that type of stuff. It's kind of tough to see exactly who's going to be buyers and who's going to be sellers at this point, as we sit here right before Memorial day, which is an important uh, kind of mark in the season. Not sure exactly who's going to be available. Um, I think that that is a, an area. And as we touched on last week's podcast, we talked about Luis Castillo. That is an area where, you know, they might feel like let's go get a horse. Let's go get an ACE. Um, but is one going to become available? I think is the big question. Well, I, I, I think it's less about maybe going and get a, getting somebody with um, serve, you know, who's under control past this year. What about rentals? Uh, which is essentially what Lucas Giolito would represent from the White Sox. And you could see that team getting blown up, given how uh, yep. disappointing they've been through the first two months. And uh, already there is a lot of speculation that the Tigers would move Eduardo Rodriguez, not because he's necessarily a free agent after this year, but the fact is he could be because he has an opt-out after the second year of his five-year deal that he signed with the Tigers. So, um, you know, you could look at him as a rental. Uh, that, that probably depresses his value on the market because teams are going to say, yeah, we'll give you something for him, but how do we know he's not going to opt out? So we have to treat him as though you know, he's got three months of uh, two months of control left Would the Red Sox be willing to entertain a reunion with Eduardo Rodriguez, not for the entirety of the remaining contract, but just for this year, maybe. And Bieber is another guy that, you know, is going to be interesting too for an underperforming, you know, Cleveland team. You just kind of look through who's been bad. Um, you know, there are probably, you know, some, some options out there. And as the Red Sox head to Arizona this week, unfortunately for those of us who, think Zach Allen is the perfect fit for a Red Sox uniform. The Diamondbacks are 29 and 21 and probably won't be selling if they keep this up. You would think not, uh, you know, and we know that Mike Hazen uh, is a big fan of Zach Allen as he should be and sees him as a centerpiece going forward, would like to get him extended and have him uh, be the guy that leads that rotation as they try to rebuild. He's certainly young enough and talented enough to be that guy to build around so I'd be shocked if if he were made available, particularly as you note, given how well Arizona's played to put themselves in the wild card mix. I think that's all we got mailbag wise uh, on this Thursday, May 25th. Red Sox are in Arizona over the weekend, uh, bookended by off days, which is always good for the guys who cover the team. Um, Sean, I believe uh, you have procured a big guest for Tuesday. If you want to tease that before we wrap up. Yeah, we're going to be joined by Red Sox general manager Brian O'Halloran uh, next Tuesday. We'll uh, talk about any number of topics uh, with Brian about the 23 Red Sox, a little bit about his career path, uh, how working in baseball operations has changed over the last 20 or so years that he's been part of that. He is the, uh, he is the most uh, or among the most seniority and tenure in that baseball op staff, so he's seen it all and we'll talk to him next tuesday that's the plan until then it's been the fenway rundown